Hi everyone, this is Aaron Cohen, and I'm currently working on season four of the series. Coming up in June, I'll host a sneak peek listening session for our Patreon subscribers, where I'll talk about the new season and play one of the new episodes. Would you like to join us? If so, support us on Patreon and you'll get an invite. There's a Patreon link in the show notes for this episode and on our website. I hope to see you there. Season 1 of Embrace Everything, The World of Gustav Mahler was made possible by a generous grant from the Kaplan Foundation. You can find a complete list of pieces and performers featured in this episode on our website, theworldofgustavmahler.org. In this episode, we'll explore the third movement of Mahler's first symphony, which was quite controversial when Mahler premiered it in 1889. The audience was totally perplexed by this movement, so we'll see if we can figure out why they had so much trouble with it. I'm Aaron Cohen. Let's dive in. The third movement of Mahler's first symphony begins with the beat of a funeral march. Mahler paints the picture for us. For this movement, the following explanation will help. The basic inspiration for it was found in a humorous engraving well-known to all Austrian children, The Huntsman's Funeral, from an old book of fairy tales. The engraving is by Moritz von Schwind, a popular Austrian painter who lived in the first half of the 19th century. The forest animals accompany the dead hunter's coffin to the grave. Hares carry the banner. In front of them march a group of bohemian musicians accompanied by singing cats, toads, crows, etc. The hunter's casket is carried by all the animals he would have killed in his lifetime. Stags, deer, foxes, and other four-legged and feathered animals follow the funeral procession in all kinds of farcical positions. The mood expressed is sometimes ironic and merry, sometimes gloomy and uncanny. The movement kicks off with a melody played by the solo double bass. This might sound somewhat familiar, because Mahler adapts the famous children's tune Frere Jacques, but with a slight adjustment, he changes it to a minor key. Music professor Marilyn McCoy. When this piece is performed, people start to laugh. People smile. Uh, they, they look around and they go, uh, is this a mistake? Here's Dominic Seldes, principal bass of the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra of Amsterdam. It's just one of those things that's just so exposed and just so naughty. And then how do you play it? Do you play it like a funeral? Do you play it as somebody singing? Is it meant to be sad? Is it meant to start a parade? Natalie Bauer-Lechner remembered how the composer himself felt about the melody. Mahler said that even as a child, he had never thought of Frere Jacques as cheerful, the way it is always sung, but rather profoundly tragic. Even then, he could hear in it what he developed from it later. Mahler said this funeral march was inspired by a band of lousy amateur musicians. Should it be played badly? Bassist Dominic Seldes. I play it as a, a melancholic, beautiful tune which starts this parade of more melancholic, beautiful tunes, and then, for me, it should sound nice. In order to paint this ironic picture and sound, Mahler needed to figure out how to use the orchestra in paradoxical ways. If I want to produce a soft, subdued sound, 
I don't give it to an instrument which produces it easily, but rather to one which can get it only with effort and under pressure, often only by forcing itself and exceeding its natural range. I often make the basses and bassoons squeak on the highest notes, while my flute huffs and puffs down below. And after this very strange opening, a completely different kind of music begins. Music that sounds... Jewish. Marilyn McCoy. And so it's like, what the heck is this? It sounds like you've walked into a party somewhere. Within this movement, each new section is a surprise. After a funeral march, you wouldn't expect party music. It's even been suggested this is a wedding party. The trumpets really sound like they're intoxicated, like they're, they're drunk. They're really not playing in tempo with the others. And it is composed that way, but I think in performance, that's something a conductor can really push or pull. And I actually like when they push it, because <laughs> I think it's meant to be kind of nutty and kind of crazy. Bill Hudgens, principal clarinet of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Clearly, he heard these kind of folk bands, and especially the Jewish ones, when he was growing up and he was used to this kind of music. This particular flavor of folk music was new to the symphonic repertoire. That's actually an easy thing to do because the clarinet kind of naturally wants to go that way. And in the classical playing, we're actually reining it in so it doesn't a lot of the time. Mahler was born Jewish. He wasn't especially religious, so it's unclear if he was putting this into his symphony to point to Judaism or to point to the many musical influences he heard growing up. Phil Bullman says it's notable that Mahler grew up in a border area. A border area being Moravia, a border between the Bohemian lands of the Czech area and sort of Upper Austria and Lower Austria. It's a Czech-speaking area, it's a German-speaking area, it's a Yiddish-speaking area. Mahler takes all these things he heard growing up and tosses them all together. And in so doing, there's a sort of a blending and and the creating of new sounds. And I think this is really critical for Mahler. Um, In other words, that he's not trying to evoke some sort of world from yesterday, uh, but rather to create new worlds or actually draw the listener's attention to worlds that are in conflict with each other. Mahler is also able to transition between contrasting styles of music with great fluidity. Back to Bill Hudgens. I love it when he gets soft and he gets these very tender, almost sensual type moments. Uh, Some of those places are incredibly beautiful, you know, like the transition in the third movement of this first symphony, halfway through where it dies down and down and down, and then this beautiful soft violin melody starts this whole little section that could be, it could be something quite sensual, it could be something for a child. It, it, uh, he does amazing things that way. 
This is another passage that Mahler lifted from one of his Wayfarer songs. The wanderer is lying down and contemplating suicide. Here are the song lyrics. By the road stands a linden tree. There at last I found rest and sleep under the linden tree, which snowed its blossoms down on me. I knew not of life's pain. All, all was well again. All, all, love and grief, my world, my dreams. The song is called The Two Blue Eyes of My Beloved, referring to Johanna Richter, a young woman who caused Mahler such heartbreak. After this interlude, the funeral march passes by us again. Mahler's friend Natalie Bauer-Lechner explained these seemingly incongruous juxtapositions. The third movement is the Frere Jacques piece, which was more misunderstood and scorned than all the rest of the work. You might also picture what happens in it in some such way as this. Our hero watches a funeral procession draw past him, and all the misery, the sum of the world's sorrow, possesses him with its sharp contrasts and hideous irony. The Frère Jacques funeral march one has to think of as being mechanically sight-read by a miserable group of musicians of the sort that plays at such funerals. This is periodically interrupted by all the crudity, frivolity, and banality in the world, with the sounds of some sort of motley bohemian players' band, and thereby the terrible and painful thoughts, the lamentation of our hero. With its irony and cutting edge, it is, to my way of thinking, the most staggering thing one has ever heard, particularly the point following the wonderful middle section, where we see the procession returning past us after the burial, and where the funeral players intone the customary merry tune. Clarinetist Bill Hudgens says the party music is a lot of fun to play. Because it's quite different than what we usually do. And it, especially on a clarinet, it lays quite well. You, I mean, we don't go as far as what popular klezmer bands would do now, where they use so many different guttural and vocal sounds to create really quite different things on the clarinet than we would use in standard classical playing. But you get to show a hint of that, at least, which is kind of fun. To our ears today, a symphony that sounds like this makes us think of Fiddler on the Roof, which we consider to be Jewish music. Professor Christian Klan says it's not quite so straightforward, because Mahler had a unique situation growing up in Moravia. For me, it was not so clear anymore to draw a clear distinction between Jewish music there and the Moravian music there. Because, for instance, the bandsmen and the musicians playing, they were as well Moravians as they were Jews. And if you look at the music which was played, for instance, for dance and uh, for popular functions, the music doesn't differ so strongly. Mahler has given us many kinds of music in this movement, and towards the end, he combines them in another surprising way. 
Marilyn McCoy. Well, at, at the end, they all, they're all superimposed. Two groups of klezmer musicians playing at different tempi, and then you have the funeral march underneath. That's the typical Malarian counterpoint moment, where you have all three things going on at the same time. Ethnomusicologist Phil Bowman. He does many things and he brings them together. And it's not their individual parts. In other words, it's not a Jewish melody, but it's rather the way in which he seeks creatively to forge a new sound, to make something modern, and, and in so doing sees the conflicts, the, the fissures and the problems, the ways in which those who would be performing and listening to these music um, have prejudice toward each other and, and, and don't fit neatly into the sort of canon that somebody like uh, Wagner would create. In other words, this is, this is a movement toward a deeper understanding of difference. The movement concludes with our funeral procession marching off into the distance. Or does it? Back to Marilyn McCoy. By the end, like, it's just so creepy, you know? So something that was a big joke at the beginning has now become kind of like a ghost story. It's getting softer and softer. And so the last sound you hear, I mean, there is a bass, but you also hear that, like you hear kind of a, it's like the breath going out of someone. <laughs> 